When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. My parents used to tell me growing up that you can tell a lot about a person's character by the way they receive a gift. An arrogant person will refuse your gift. An insecure person will somehow talk you out of giving them a gift. An annoying person will give you an even better gift. And a wise person will re-gift your gift. Only the truly humble person will receive your gift and simply say, thank you. But thankfulness isn't just a social virtue. It's also a spiritual discipline. Thankfulness is directly related to our salvation. The story we just heard from Luke's gospel recounts two different responses to Jesus' gift of healing. Ten lepers were healed. But only to the one who returned does Jesus say, your faith has made you well. Literally rendered, your faith has saved you. Ten lepers were healed. Nine walked away with great health, presumably to a lost eternity. And only one, the thankful one, returned and was commended for his faith and was saved. You can tell a lot about a person's character by the way they receive a gift. How do you receive God's gifts? Do you reject them? Do you receive them, but with a sense of entitlement, as if God owes you something? Or do you receive them with humility and thankfulness? Those are important questions to ponder because this passage teaches us that thankfulness is the purest expression of saving faith. Thankfulness is the purest expression of saving faith. This passage can be divided into two sections. In verses 11 through 14, Luke tells us about the miraculous healing of the lepers. 
And in verses 15 through 19, he tells us about the aftermath. What happened when one of the lepers returned to Jesus? Let's make our way through the story and first give our attention to verses 11 through 14. Ten lepers are healed. The story begins in verse 11 where we are told that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And that is not insignificant. Luke reminds us that Jesus is going to the cross. He had told his disciples several chapters earlier that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. All of these things, all of these events would take place in Jerusalem just as God had planned. And that's exactly where Jesus is going. But for Jesus, the way to the cross is a windy one. He's not following a non-stop itinerary. He's constantly turning to the right and to the left and sometimes even backwards to minister to all the people he can with the time he has left. Luke even gives us Jesus' current location on his journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and as you see in the text, he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus is actually going around Samaria, as many of the Jews did in his day. The Samaritans were a despised people. The Jews thought of them as half-breeds and sellouts. They were to be avoided at all costs. And Jesus is probably avoiding them here, not out of hostility, but for his own safety. He has to make it to Jerusalem. But as Jesus goes around Samaria in order to avoid one kind of people, he's confronted with another kind of people who were to be avoided at all costs, if not more so than the Samaritans. Luke writes in verse 12, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Now, leprosy was a Horrible, horrible skin disease. It began on the eyelids and on the palms of the hands. Little tiny white specks would appear. And then the disease would slowly spread over one's entire body. It would bleach the hair and cause white flaky patches to come up all over the skin. It would even work its way sometimes into the bones and joints so that fingers and toes would be seriously deformed and even sometimes destroyed. But worst of all, lepers 
were required by the Levitical law to live in total isolation from the outside world. Away from wife, away from husband, away from children and all family, away from friends, away from fellowship, and symbolically, away from God. They were unclean. That is, they were ritually unfit to be in God's holy presence. And they were required to advertise their uncleanness to the watching world. They were to shave their heads and wear torn clothes as they walked about the city. And if anybody were to come even within 50 paces of them, 50 paces, they were to cover their mouths with a rag And cry out, unclean, unclean. So that others would be warned to stay away. That's why Luke tells us in the end of verse 12 that these ten lepers stood at a distance from Jesus. They were unclean and their uncleanness was contagious. But in this instance, they don't cry out, unclean, unclean. No, Luke tells us that these men cry out with raspy, sickened voices, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They know who Jesus is, don't they? They'd heard about him. He is God's miracle worker, a master over disease and death in his fingers, is supernatural power. Little did they know that he is the very one who created the stars, but he could heal lepers for sure. He'd done it before. And he's merciful. He's compassionate. He helps people even when there's no benefit to him. And so they cry out for mercy. Don't give us what we deserve. Give us something better. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And that is a request that our Lord Jesus will never ignore. Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, take pity. Jesus, I'm helpless. Help me. It's in his very nature to be merciful. He won't refuse. So Jesus sees them and says to them in verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priests. (laughs) Now, This is unexpected, at least from Jesus. In fact, these lepers might have been pretty disappointed initially with Jesus' response. Any students here this morning? I know there are more than that. I'll need to wake up, students. Students, this would be like you approaching your teacher asking what was going to be on the upcoming exam 
and her telling you in response to go read the book. Well, these lepers want to be healed now. Jesus had healed lepers before right on the spot. He simply touched them and they were healed. But not this time. Jesus keeps his distance. He keeps that 50 pace buffer. He does not approach them. He does not touch them. He doesn't even promise to heal them. But he sees them from afar and commands them to go and show themselves to the priests, just as the law required. See, according to Leviticus chapter 14, if a leper discovers that his leprosy has been cured, he is to present himself to a priest so that the priest could confirm his healing and restore him back into society. That was the priest's role. They were sort of the on-hand medical doctors of the town. But Jesus tells these lepers to show themselves to the priests without being healed. Now, what in the world is Jesus doing here? Well, he's doing several things. One of which is that he's proving to these priests who would soon see these these lepers that he is not some renegade rabbi who defies the law and is worthy to be put to death. No, when they put him to death, they would be doing so out of their own malice and jealousy and rejection of God. But what does this mean for these lepers? Why does Jesus tell them to go to the priests without being healed? He's testing them. He's testing them. Do these lepers really believe that Jesus can heal them from a distance? They had given lip service to Jesus. Jesus, Master. But Jesus demands faith in action. A faith that confesses Jesus as Lord but refuses to obey what he commands is no faith at all. And Luke doesn't tell us anything about the debate that must have ensued between these, te- these ten men at this point. Some surely doubted Jesus' words. Some were determined to obey. But all of them were desperate And desperate men do exactly what the doctor tells them to do. And so we read of the miraculous healing from a distance in verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. What a scene this must have been. I enjoyed just, I wasted a lot of time in my office just sitting down thinking about what this must have been like. Somewhere along the way to the priest, presumably just as Jesus had faded out of sight, the lepers stop limping. 
I wonder what tipped them off at first. One of them looks down at his hand and his feet. And he shouts to another, my hands, my feet, I've been healed. And then the other shouts back to him, I've been healed too. And so all of them are jumping up and down, embracing one another, kicking up dust in the road, and dancing like children. And then comes the realization that their exile is over. They don't need to live in isolation anymore. (laughs) And they can hardly wait to kiss their wives and hug their children. They can already smell their homecoming dinner, and they can even feel already the fur of the family dog. But they never give Jesus another thought. They had already received from him all they wanted. Physical healing. Nothing more is desired. That would be all, Jesus. Thank you. It is easy to forget about God when times are good. Have you experienced that before? It's much easier to remember God when you're in the depths. Oswald Chambers has said, Troubles nearly always make us look to God. But his blessings are apt to make us look elsewhere. I can think of so many times where I've asked God's help going into a situation, and the situation ends up going very well, and then at the end of it, I've forgotten all about God's help. And I thought, well, it's probably my charming good looks, or the way I carried myself, or that, that phrase I said there, that's what really, that's what really made it. And I can imagine that these lepers did the same thing. I know why we were healed. It's because we obeyed Jesus. But they never give Jesus, the man, the God-man, Jesus, another thought. In our sin, we insist that we are self-made, self-taught, self-helped, self-reliant. But God calls that pride. Every success that you've ever had in your job, every good work you've ever done for the poor, every positive outcome that has ever arisen in your life comes from God's good hand. Like the lepers, we owe everything to the mercy of Jesus. So how should we respond to him? What does God expect us to do? Well, the answer is found in the first verse of our next section, verses 15 through 19, where we discover that of the ten lepers healed, one leper is saved. Luke writes in verse 15, Then one of them, When he saw that he was healed, that great moment, turned back 
praising God with a loud voice, a new voice. And he fell at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now the verb saw in this verse, near the very beginning, he saw that he was healed, refers more to the than to just physical sight in Luke's gospel. Certainly, this man had looked down and had seen that his hands and his feet had been healed, but more than that, he now sees Jesus for what he truly is. He is not just God's miracle worker, the giver of all good things. He is God's promised Messiah. So he turns back in his realization. He praises God with a loud voice. He falls at Jesus' feet and gives him thanks. And then Luke adds the ultimate punchline. You'll miss it if you're not careful. Now he was a Samaritan. This man is the runt of the bunch. The most unclean of all of them. And yet it is he, and he alone, who gives Jesus the praise he is due with his face in the dust. Jesus looks down at him in verse 17, astonished. And asks him, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? It appears that Jesus is genuinely surprised. But what's more surprising? The fact that the one who returned is a Samaritan? Or the fact that the nine who didn't were Israelites? Jesus had given all ten lepers the same gift. He had healed them all. But whereas the Israelites, who had once stood at a distance, are now miles away from Jesus, the Samaritan couldn't be closer. Now, were the nine Israelites unthankful? I, I would think not. I would imagine that they probably sang and skipped all the way to the priests and made fools of themselves because of how happy they were. So what caused the Samaritan to return? All ten are thankful. What caused the Samaritan to return? It's quite simple. He loved the giver more than the gift itself. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson has put it like this. If you had met these nine lepers, they would have been able to say for the rest of their lives, 
I am so glad I met Jesus because he healed me from my leprosy. But the thing that was different about the Samaritan who returned was that he was able to say, I am so glad I had leprosy because it brought me to the Lord Jesus. God always intends his gifts to bring us back to him. But too often, our attitudes and our actions are more like the nine than the one. God gives us material gifts, whether money or physical beauty and talents, even toy trucks. And we become so easily, thanklessly absorbed in them. But what we must understand this morning, like the Samaritan, is that gifts are to enhance the love between two people. God wants us to enjoy His gifts. There's nothing wrong with taking pleasure in what God has made and what God has given. Enjoy away. But He also wants us to turn back, to remember, and to give thanks to the one from whom all blessings flow. At the end of our passage, Jesus sees the heart of the thankful Samaritan and says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. N.T. Wright has commented that when Jesus would have said the words, rise, to this man. Everyone who was around him would have thought resurrection. Jesus had brought this man back from the dead. Lepers were the walking dead of the first century. Jesus had brought this man back from the dead and given him new life. You see, the other lepers had received God's gift of healing with a sense of entitlement. They were Israelites. They deserved to have God's mercy. But the Samaritan had started out from ground zero. He received God's gift in humility. He was not just a leper, but an outsider and an enemy. When he falls down at Jesus' feet in thankfulness, he knows That he's unworthy. But he knows that Jesus healed him for his mercy's sake. So that he might be brought near to him. Vaughn Roberts has said that the purpose of redemption is relationship. God brings us out of our misery and our bondage. So that we might enjoy relationship with him. And we are like the Samaritan. We were enemies of God. We were unclean. We were sinful and rebellious. We stood at a distance from Jesus. And he had every reason to avoid us. 
We could not even call out for mercy. That's how dead we were. But the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.13 that Christ initiated to us and had mercy on us. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, the only reason why the leper or why you or why me, why I can be brought near to Jesus and receive his mercy is because Jesus on that day was on his way to Jerusalem. He was going to the cross to break down the barrier between the clean and the unclean. The holy of holies at his death is ripped in half so that in his mercy we can come in and have intimate fellowship with God. And now that we've been brought near, we are friends with God and receive his blessings and his gifts. But how will we receive them? This Thanksgiving, every American, nearly every American, will be thankful. They'll thank something. Some will thank good fortune. Some will thank our forefathers. Some will thank friends and family. Many will thank God. But few will turn back and fall at Jesus' feet in thankfulness and praise. Few. Perhaps even one in ten. And you are the one. If you call out to Jesus as Lord and receive his mercy, you are the one that he delights to show mercy toward. Do you realize at what great cost God has loved you? You have been brought from death to life. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Don't let your thankfulness be ho-hum and vague. Don't just go on your way. Stop, remember, turn back. Meditate on the cross of Jesus. Savor his resurrection on your behalf. And fall down at his nail-pierced feet in gratitude. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we cannot begin to describe the blessings that we have received from your good hand. And we're not as thankful as we ought. We never are. But we ask for your mercy even when we're unthankful. To make us thankful. Help us not to abuse the gifts you give us, but to enjoy them fully by turning back to you and allowing these tokens of your love to lead us back to you. Thank you that when we were far off and could not even muster the strength to cry out 
to you for mercy. You saw us and you told us to go to the priest, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. We give thanks ultimately this morning for him and for the eternity that we will spend with him now and forever. May you make us truly thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?